Welcome to the Pinch to Zoom podcast, the show where we zoom in on the latest tech news, products, and trends. I'm Stetson. I'm Gabe. And in this episode, we're talking about Galaxy S21. We're doing a mini review. We're also talking about the latest news in tech, including some stock-related news, what's going on with GameStop. And of course, we have our quick news segment where we cover everything you need to know that was new in tech this past week. So let's start with that. Gabe, roll that intro. Welcome to Quick News, where we cover the tech news you need to know about, but we don't necessarily have the time to talk about. Now, we moved some of the new products into our longer news segment more towards the end of this episode. So this is just going to be the really quick stuff. Starting off, we had Xiaomi announce the Mi Charge Air, which is this huge box-shaped device that's able to actually wirelessly charge your phones and other stuff from three to nine feet away. Now, this isn't going to be out until 2022, and it's definitely lacking some some specifics. But for me, I'm personally excited because this kind of helps realize Nikola Tesla's original dream of being able to broadcast electricity. Now, speaking of lacking specifics, Carl Pei, one of the co-founders of OnePlus, who actually left the company back in October of 2020 to start his own venture, he announced the new company name, and it's called Nothing. Uh, Either way, this company should be focusing on audio-related products, and it's raised $7 million in funding so far. So we have to wait and see what nothing turns into. Now, this past week was earnings week for a lot of tech companies, so we got a good amount of news on how companies are doing. Starting off, Netflix has reached over 200 million global subscribers, which makes them by far the leader for any streaming service out there, blowing away Disney, HBO Max, and all the other ones. And we also heard they're rolling out a new feature called Shuffle Play, which basically if you thought that before you could sit on the couch and just keep watching stuff forever, this will literally keep you watching it forever as it could shuffle through any of the content libraries suggesting one of over 4,000 movies and 47,000 TV shows. Speaking of new features, Android's copy of AirDrop called Nearby Share will soon let users share Wi-Fi passwords. Previously, a QR code was generated on your screen and your friend could scan the QR code on their device. But now with just a few taps and no QR codes needed, you should be able to share your Wi-Fi passwords to get everyone connected seamlessly. Tesla announced some refreshed models of its Model S and Model X, which are basically changing up the interior for a new look, pulling a lot from the Model 3. You get a new wider horizontal screen as well as the U-shaped steering wheel that they debuted with the Roadster Tees. And you also, more importantly, got the new Plaid and Plaid Plus versions, which honestly, who really cares about the Roadster anymore? Because the Plaid Plus can go zero to 60 in under 1.99 seconds and has a range of over 520 miles. However, the Plaid and Plaid Plus versions will set you back between 110 and 130,000. So you're gonna have to start saving up for those. Beeper is a new app from the founder of Pebble that could be the one chat app to rule them all. This app promises to integrate 15 messaging apps, including WhatsApp, Signal, Discord, Slack, Twitter, and most notably iMessage, and making those all available even on Android devices. The service will be $10 a month, and it's rolling out in beta now. The long-awaited Echo Show 10 will finally be available, and we got an official date of February 25th for purchase. So, I personally might be one of those people on the you know Amazon site clicking by as soon as that becomes available. One thing we didn't get an official release date for is the Ring Always Home drone cam, which seems to be more and more like it's just flying away into thin air. Qualcomm announced their Snapdragon ride platform. This is a scalable, open, autonomous driving solution aiming to help automakers equip their cars with various levels of autonomous driving and safety features. And that's it for quick news. We kept it a little it was, more quick this time. It was time. actually quick. Yeah. Uh, quick news. All right. I think we should segue into our Galaxy S21 review. Yeah. So if people don't know, we had the new Galaxy S21 phones. We had a full bonus episode recapping out. You have the S21 and the S21 Ultra. You do also have the S21 Plus, but it's essentially the same as the S21. Stetson here went ahead and got the S21 for his, even though you d- aren't really into reviewing phones, that's correct. You're more into testing out the cell phone plans. What's important about this phone for you testing the cell phone plans? Yeah, I think that's a great place to start. So, what the S21 has that's important to me is the Snapdragon 888, and this includes the integrated Snapdragon X60 modem, which includes millimeter wave 5G support, 
and new 5G technologies for more carrier aggregation, faster speeds, better 5G performance. So I'm super excited about that. Um, it does have a 1080p, 120 hertz display. I personally think it looks sharp and totally well, this fine. Was the, this was one of the big things with these new phones is they actually went down in resolution, but because of that, they were able to introduce the faster refresh rate and keep... Well, almost. So last year... Keep similar battery life. Yeah, so last year you well, had... Okay, yeah, they, they did have the faster refresh rate, but you had to then go down in resolution. So exactly. instead they well, just went yeah. with... They instead just went with native resolution of lower rather than being able to offer a higher 1440 resolution. And because of that, they do better battery life and hopefully bring the cost of the phones down as well. Yeah, and it's variable. So it actually goes from 40 hertz to 120 hertz depending on the content on the phone and what you're doing. Yeah. So that helps a lot with battery as well. Um, it feels reasonably fast, reasonably smooth. I really like the cameras this year. So the Snapdragon 888, again, kind of doing what Apple's doing, uh, better image processing, better HDR, better video features. Uh, it does have three cameras on the back, same as last year, actually. So two 12-megapixel cameras, one ultra-wide, one wide, and then that 64-megapixel telephoto camera. And one thing just design-wise, like we were comparing it to the new iPhone 12 Pros, and I really liked... My, here's my iPhone 12 Pro, and it has like on the back, it's hard to see, but basically the lenses stick out just so much. Yeah, you want to actually talk about what's going on there, and I'll talk about what Samsung did with the S21. Well, there's like three bumps. There's the camera notch itself of like that holds the uh, lidar and holds the flash and the cameras and then each camera actually has a bump on top of that and then each lens even bumps up a little more and it's just it's it's a layer cake you have a layer cake of cameras it's kind of just insane how much it sticks out and i don't love the design of it sorry apple i like a lot of stuff you do but this is something i've never been a fan of I like what Samsung is doing with theirs. Yes, yeah, so what Samsung did is, first of all, they shifted all the cameras over to the left side and they made the camera bump sort of seamlessly transition from the metal side rails and then flow into a metal camera bump. So this is actually a metal camera bump as opposed to glass on the iPhones. Yeah. And each of the camera lenses, it's only up by like half of a millimeter, but they are slightly recessed. So if you set your phone down on a table, the lenses uh, should not come in contact with the surface. And if you put a case on that, it's like exactly perfectly flush with the cameras and the camera bump rather than, you know, with this one, the cameras actually kind of still stick out a little bit. And so case makers have to pop up the edges a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. So I definitely, I love the design of the S21. I think that's one of my favorite features. I think people are sad to see the lack of expandable storage on these. That's the biggest complaint that we've had. Right. um, So I think people talking about, I think bottom line for S21, it's fast. Um, there's some potential battery and overheating issues with the Snapdragon 888 that I'm hoping will get resolved. Um, but otherwise, it's fast. It gets the Have job done. Have you tested done. out the fastest speeds you can get on that? Yeah, I was actually averaging slightly faster 5G performance on the S21 with that X60 modem in comparison to last year's S20, um, which is using the X55 modem. So I think people are going to see faster data speeds, better performance. It's a great phone, um, yeah. but... I don't know. I, I, the main the main thing was the lower price slightly. Yeah. So yeah. for you as someone looking at specs, because you were going to buy it anyways, I mean, price isn't the big deal for you. You're going to buy it, use it, resell it. It's not a huge factor. But for someone, you know, thinking, ah, should I upgrade? Should I not? The fact that they were able to knock, what, $200 off essentially off this off the S20? Yeah, and you, you throw in a carrier discount too. Yeah. Like, it could be going for 650 potentially, even like that. So overall, you think definitely it's an improvement is I think it it's, it's, a little or? Bit, it's a little bit of a mixed bag depending on what you're coming from and what your yep. needs are. I think in terms of an overall package, it's quite great. I know a lot of people, again, bummed about the lack of the expandable storage, but it feels fast. It's got great performance. I think the design is great. The aesthetics are awesome. The underneath the screen fingerprint reader got better because it's now on Gen 2. So I think it's a solid package. You know, it's not going to be for everyone, but yeah. I think at that $800 price point, it's competing well and it's delivering the features I need and I think the average smartphone consumer needs. So I would call this a pretty big win for Samsung. Nice. So I, I like that way you summed up that it's not really an upgrade necessarily if you're looking at it from the last phone. But if you're just looking at it like as a p- total package, what is this phone? That's Yeah, it's a really, yeah. again, I think the design just brings it together. It feels great. And one you know kind of subtle feature that I love most is Samsung uh, got away from the rounded display corners. So oh, the yeah. edges, instead of like rounding over. What did they used to call that again? Was it Infinity? Yeah, Infinity Edge Display. Yeah. Now it's a flat panel, which makes it easier to apply screen protectors to actually protect your phone. Yep. And it also uh, just makes it so you don't accidentally touch the sides and like trigger things. 
I noticed on last year's model, the edges also had like weird discoloration. Yeah, you want to take a look? Just take a look at it while you're talking about it. Yeah. So, and the other thing I do want to mention here is Samsung historically has included pre-installed plastic screen protectors on their phones. This one did not have that. So I thought, I don't know, just there's some weird changes with the S21. But again, overall, I think it's a solid email, making sure you're not sponsored by Samsung. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. Overall, I think it's a good package. I like it. I, the design alone, maybe it's bad to say that, but the the faster modem for 5G for me and the design make it great. And I think the camera improvements overall, again, it's a good package. What are what are your initial impressions kind of I mean, playing it, around with it? I like, the, I mean, you're never going to hold a phone. Here, pop it in the case just so I get a more. Yeah, that, so uh, I, I got the silicon cases and the leather cases. Yeah. And I love, like Gabe mentioned before, the, the camera bump actually is now flush with the case. Yeah. Have so, you tried the AirTags also that came with it? I have or? not tried the okay. AirTags. It's a Samsung-only feature, so I don't want to invest yeah. too much time into them because I really only use the phone for testing cellular connectivity. Yeah. Um, well, I but, mean, yeah. I got to say, I mean, I have... It's a lot smaller, obviously. I have the, I have the lot smaller. Pro Plus. It's more comfortable to manage, so I think. it's not really a good comparison. It would be better... I guess trying the S21 Plus would be more accurate. S21 Ultra is what I would say because that's the biggest phone okay. and it packs the the flagship so, cameras. We got to order that. Get that yeah, one now. Yeah, twelve hundred bucks, man. Yeah. So, well, I I mean I the you know the Samsung camera apps for me like I feel like phones are essentially cameras. I think they're camera. They're like point and shoot cameras. cameras, and then they do all the other like web browsing, YouTube, bot podcast, media devices stuff, but. Cameras is like 50% of your phone use, I feel like. So Samsung always has good camera stuff, and they have a lot more modes. But the thing, I just like feel like a lot of the modes just feel like they're very gimmicky. Yeah, that's, I think the... Like they have this whole more thing, and it's just like a screen full of... Tons of options. It can be... Food, portrait video, pro video, super slow-mo. Like there's some cool things there. One I would be interested honestly to try, honestly to try would be hyperlapse because uh, you do that with drones a lot. I do that with drones. I do that with the GoPros, and I know Instagram's app at one point wasn't working with the new uh, 12 models for some reason, uh, maybe permissions or something. But I would be interested to see how they try that. That's basically like a time lapse, but super stabilized. Yeah, I mean, overall impressions. It's very fast. It's very smooth. The screen and everything. What do you What do you think about opening up a folder? Like just. Does that feel faster? It's slow? a little slow. Yeah, they could right. Speed, I feel like they should have a setting to speed up animations. Or they, slow so down. you can do that. Yeah, you have to go in and enable developer options. Um, but that you know that's the nice thing about Android is you have this flexibility to do that. Um, but yeah, I think for a phone that has a 120 hertz display, a lot of the changes Samsung made with their One UI, I think it's on three now, uh, just feels slow. Like opening folders just feels excruciatingly slow to me. Pulling down the notification sl- shade is slow. So again, hardware for me is on point. Software experience not quite there yet. Be interesting to like what is it, rooting it or jailbreaking it to get yep. just stock Android on there. Uh, you can actually form. get some launchers. There's one yeah. called Launcher, and that kind of mimics the stock oh, okay. Android experience. So Maybe that'd be the way to go. Again, I think hardware on point yeah. depends on what you're coming from and what your needs are. I think for a lot of people, especially kind of average consumers, this is going to feel like a great phone. And, it's and if a great you're option. especially if you're in the Samsung ecosystem. 100% now. 100%. Yeah. What was the thing we were super excited about them getting in the Samsung ecosystem? I forget what it was. But yep. I forget too. They got they got something there that, oh no, it was the Android. That was it was. It was the new AirDrop and the Wi-Fi passwords yep, feature. Wi-Fi passwords. And now all Android and the, people. I guess the new Galaxy Buds, the Buds Pro. That's what it was. It's yeah. like the AirPods Experience. for Android. Yeah. So if you have a Samsung phone, Samsung tablet, boom, it just switches right in between. Get that. I'd also be interested if it would work on Samsung TVs. Oh, that's a unique. Be, uh, if they have Bluetooth. I don't know if they yeah. have Bluetooth. Yeah, and in. we also talked about their monitors that are like TVs now. Yeah. That would be so sweet. Smart monitors. Yeah. So I, I definitely like the Samsung ecosystem. They're starting to build it out a little more, but uh, they definitely need they need some work on the software side. Yeah. They've always been there with the specs and the hardware, but really the experience is what they need to focus on the most. And I think that's actually, this is the best argument for it because they went down in specs in order to give people a better experience, better price. Yep, yep, but not necessarily better software. So not I don't necessarily know. Better software. I think it's a good value phone, and if you're interested in, in Samsung products, check it out. Yeah. Well, moving on now, let's get into our news, uh, talking about cool. the stuff that was too long for quick news. And starting off, you know, Sony just dominated this week with their two releases, very high end. Let's start with the one that's on everyone's mind, who's into cameras, the Sony Alpha One, which 
is a full new camera line. Like up until now, you had the Sony, like the Alpha 7 line, the A7s, which is like the A7, A7S, A7R. Then you had the A9 line, which was the, that was their, up until now, their flagship mirrorless line, right? You had the okay. A9 one, the A9 two, and then people are like, all right, you know, when, when are we going to get the new flagship? Because we got the, you know, A7R4, which is 62 megapixels. We got the new A7S3, which is 4K 120 and 422 10-bit. So I was like, you're getting some pro features. When are we going to get that one that's really up here? Like and top, we, top. Yeah, we knew we were going to get something because Canon dropped the R5. Yeah, and what was that? What was 8K, the headline? 8K video, yeah. 45 megapixel. Uh, you know, that was a very impressive camera. Had some issues right off the bat with overheating. People were comparing it to the A7S three, which never was right, never was meant to be a full video camera. It's actually more of a stills camera that does incredible high-resolution video. And so now Sony has come back with their release. I, just before we get into it, I can't wait to see what Canon does. I hope eventually they will have something to compete with the A7S three, but that's that's for further down the road. Now we do have the basically this is the direct competitor, I would say, to the R five. Yeah. It's called the Sony Alpha One or Sony A one. And it actually tops the R five with resolution. It has a fifty megapixel sensor. So five more megapixels there. It does do 8K video. I think it's sampling down from 8.6K, I'm pretty sure I read. Uh, so it does 8K 30 FPS and 4K 120 FPS. And supposedly it also doesn't have any overheating issues or anything like that because it's using the same body as A7S 3 uh, And the price tag is 6500 available March 4th. I've just talked for a while. What are your thoughts? I think this camera looks absolutely incredible. Yeah for photographers because i think there's yeah. one thing here so i'm noticing it looks like there's an ethernet port for kind of connected tethered shooting which is yep. awesome full-size hdmi again awesome uh, but the one thing sony went with here is actually the older style fold out display yeah this was an interesting choice what what are your thoughts on that well i think it's exactly what you were saying you said it's for photographers and i even think more than photographers it's really studio photographers and maybe journalists or stuff like that right or sports photographers and they don't really need the ability to, you know, look at the monitor. Most of the times they're going to either be shooting like through the eyepiece mm -hmm. or shooting, like you said, tethered in some way. Yeah. So I think that was a smart move. Is it? I don't know if it's a touchscreen. I'm not quite positive there. I think it's got to be a touchscreen yeah, given everything. Yeah, the new UI. And I'm not actually seeing any. Yeah, it does have the new UI so we can confirm that. And yeah, I think the big thing with the, the tilt screen is actually it keeps the frame of the camera and the axis that the like the shoot is on completely lined up. So you can tilt the screen out, tilt it straight up and like all the motions of the camera line up perfectly with that display. Yeah. So it's, it's excellent for photographers. And I think that's what this camera is aimed for. Even though it can do 8k video, I don't think that's going to be its primary use case. Yeah. I'm not really sure why they do the 8k video other than just to put it as a feature. So in case someone's like, I need 8k video, they have a camera for it. Right. That's the only other thing I can think. Some other features they added that were really cool is they added uh, the burst rate, it's 30 FPS. Stop. That's that's that, video. That's actually I know, video. right? You can just shoot video. I mean, essentially, you could shoot raw video, I guess, but without audio uh, for up to 200 frames. But you get now why it can do 8K because it's able to shoot 50 megapixels at 30 FPS up to 200 frames, full burst. Um, but then the big thing was the eye tracking. They added like full eye tracking, not just for people, but for animals too, which... Oh, smokes. It's insane that it can do that. Like Sony is on top of their game when it comes to eye detection, autofocus algorithms. It's absolutely mind-blowing what they're able to accomplish. Yeah. And is this camera using the same CF Express Type A cards that they announced with the A7S III? I think so, right? Yeah. It's, well, it's the, the dual slots where you can use both an SD card or also the new uh, CF Type A, I'm pretty sure, right? Yep. Yep, yeah, I think you're right on that. And so, I imagine that's the way they're going to keep doing it for a while. Uh, until Unless SDXC cards can jump up another level, basically, they need some faster card to be able to do the 8K and the 4K 120 at the max bit, right? Yep. But yeah, this overall is just an incredible camera. I already talked to someone just I ran into who is also a Sony user out shooting photography while I was out hiking. And I was like, yo, what do you think of the Sony A1? He's like, looks absolutely incredible. So... If you're a Sony, you know, fanboy, if you're in a Sony camp, this is something off most people, this is something that's just gonna look at and go, wow, that's incredible. And they're not gonna use. But if you're in the studio area, if you're, you know, you're shooting high-end stuff like this and you really want either the speed of, you know, so that's why I'm saying sports photography or wildlife photography for one, or if you need the resolution 
and you want the ability to tether in and stuff like that, and really like you want to follow up to the A9 too, uh, then this is the way to go. I love uh, Tech Radar's analogy here. It's yep. the McLaurin supercar of the photographic world. Like this is kind of the top of the game. I feel like for a lot it's, of people, I don't know if I'd call it that. I'd almost call it more like the Rolls Royce. Like it's the luxury model, maybe, but maybe not. Maybe that. Maybe a Leica is more like the luxury model with the okay, wood, okay. wood handle and stuff. But that now the interesting thing. Moving on is speaking of that full-sized HDMI uh, cable and output. One thing they sh- kind of showed off is you could take the $6,500 camera and then pop their new $2,500 sony uh xperia pro phone on top of it wait 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 gabe you just said there was a phone that was twenty five hundred dollars yeah. yes. that's like more than my laptop yes it's also more than pretty much any phone on the market more than the galaxy fold more than the lg wing you can get like four or five phones for this price yeah okay so what what is this phone doing that sony is like all right it's worth two thousand I mean, it has pro in the name that's about it <laughs> Honestly, no, it, there is some kind of cool things, but this really, Sony's phones are just, they're, I feel like, feel like there's such a niche market they're going for. Well, maybe and that's this their is, strategy. This is even more niche. So this is like if you needed a phone with a full, with a HDMI input. So that's what it has? That's really the big thing. Yeah, is the optional micro HDMI cable you can input. So you can plug into your camera and use this, and it is a 4K HDR OLED screen, which is very incredible. I will admit, as we just saw Samsung downgrade, you can now use your phone as a 4K monitor right on the, you know, right on top of your camera. And it's kind of nice for that. It's yeah, slim. The question I have, well, no, because it, it's plugging. See, what would have been amazing is if they'd done it USB C and then done like transport controls. Oh, so you could actually tap on the phone to control the camera. That would be awesome. I wonder if you can still do that with the app. Like if they update their app, because you can control the camera using the Sony well, app. I don't think you could be plugged in and using the Sony app. Yeah, I feel like, okay, you're right. You're yeah. right. That would probably cause problems. But yeah, I mean, I think there's some perks here where the phone is slim. It's got an internal rechargeable battery, so you don't need the external batteries that are kind of big and bulky. Uh, but, you know, I don't know how battery life will be if you're using a 4K display as your monitor for shooting yeah well and one thing i mean they're they're also showing off is you could also tether with 5g to this uh phone while you're shooting and just be instantly sending any photo you took into the cloud or to your you know news station wherever server yeah who do you who do you think this setup is for who do you see like getting this i really don't know i feel like this is for like i was i was thinking for like sports photographers maybe you're at a game and you want like the action you're capturing as quickly yeah. as possible back at the home servers. So yeah, can- it's definitely, it's for like big media outlets, I feel like would be the type to invest in, you know, because I mean, a $2,500 phone plus a, a plan for 5G, it's expensive. Know, paying that, and then on top of that, a $6,500 camera, you're talking about $10,000 to outfit someone at least. We're not, we haven't even touched lenses. So yeah, this is real. I think like big media outlets will be the type that are going to be looking at this. And Sony definitely has a fair number of clients in that area. So, you know, it was also kind of confusing. They went with last year's Snapdragon 865 processor. Yeah, I have no idea why they did this. It's uh, was it just because they've been developing this phone for so long? Is I think it it's, another one of the what, it's Surface, Surface Duo. Duo. Yeah, it's <laughs> just been like, this is it. Oh, there's a new one out. Well, we can't change it now. Yeah. Oh, too bad. It's, it's too. Yeah. I wish they could, you know, Snapdragon could like clue them in on like well Yo, they know they've got to know the like they've been doing this for here's years the, here's like use this exact stuff here's the changes you need to make and then you know but uh yeah i think the biggest issue i have is price tag and because you know you mentioned 5g uploading the photos as you're shooting you need to be in an area with the millimeter wave 5g in order to get that and that's so limited it's it's restricted to city streets right now like certain city blocks and so the reason I think it's for sports photographers is oftentimes stadiums are some of the first locations to be lit up with millimeter wave. Now, did 5G. you see this thing? What's this network visualizer app? Oh, that's to help visualize the connectivity and signal strength. So you can actually can you use that on other phones or is it just to this? I think it's exclusive to this because it, it says it has the 360 degree beam forming antenna. Is that I think connected it, with that? I think it's related to the antenna placement inside gotcha. the phone. And Sony's able to take that and implement that in their application. Like, all right, if you orient the phone this way, you'll get better speeds. But yeah, again, with the limited rollout of millimeter wave 5G and the price tag, I think it's, it's for someone's boss to buy and it's 
I think for sporting events. That's yeah. that's the use well, case. Well, I mean, I otherwise, see. this is still a phone, so it does have 512 gigabytes internal storage. It does support micro uh, SDXC, so additional storage up to one terabyte. It has, uh, for cameras, honestly, they're not that impressive. They're going kind of They're to last, iPhone. Last year's models, actually. Yeah, iPhone root of 12 megapixels as well on all of them. But you do get one that's 70 uh, millimeter focal length, which is that's pretty decent zoom. You're also getting uh, Gorilla Glass 6. You're getting, of course, uh, still getting a, a headphone jack into there as well. I mean, it'd be weird if they had a headphone jack. No headphone jack, but an HDMI. So That would be like so weird. You got to keep it. You're getting the Dolby Atmos supported audio. You're getting a good battery life at 4,000. Yeah. So, I mean, it is actually a decently well-rounded phone, but because you're paying 2,500 for it, uh, you'd expect something above just like good Last specs years, and a couple yeah. cool features. I think it's for a niche audience, and I'd be interested to hear someone who's actually in the field using this, what their take is. Cause yeah, I think, that'd be really cool. I think for us, it's just kind of an overpriced, uh, glorified piece of tech that's neat but not useful for our particular needs yeah uh well that's kind of a very good segue into the fuji film new camera the gfx well they actually announced two cameras but the one that everyone really cared about was the gfx 100s and this was actually not as expensive as sony's a1 camera Ooh. however it the megapixels if you thought 50 megapixels was insane, this is 102 megapixels and not just full frame. It's a medium format camera. So even bigger than full frame. Uh, and if you didn't think 102 megapixels was enough, it also has a pixel shifting mode that can get over 400 megapixels. Stop. Yeah. That's absolutely insane. I mean, file sizes has got to be huge. I, used, I heard even the compressed size of like the RAWs is 65 megapixels oh or megabytes God. per image. <laughs> That's so big. So imagine a 400, you know, full, like full raw. raw. How much do you bet that would be? It's got to be like 500 megabytes. That's on, exactly what yeah, I was I'm thinking. thinking. It, yeah. Unbelievable. So storage would be expensive. But yeah, what is this uh, starting at? Um, It's starting at $6,000. So... 500, I mean, geez, 500 less. That doesn't sound bad. It's not really for video, I don't think. I don't think Fuji's really known for their autofocus. And I, well, I mean, I do. I did have a friend who switched uh, over to their... X-T3, right? X-T3. And their new X-T4s are very popular. And those are just APS-C. However, I don't really know a lot of people that shoot um, mirrorless. Yeah, Fuji's... Or, uh, what who, is, yeah, shoot, so, who shoot mir medium format, sorry, video. For video. Yeah, it's it just... I mean, full frame is usually enough. And uh, like it's just a bulkier camera. Really, what it's big for medium format is, and the high re resolution is landscape photography. That's pretty much who they're going after directly. Do you need special lenses for this if it's a bigger medium? Yeah, format it's sensor? a different. Um, it's a different lens mount. I'm not exactly sure which one, but uh, here we go. This is the lens they release with it. It's a. There, I guess it's a GF mount. Is what it is. The Fujifilm G mount. So yeah, they have special ones. I mean, the lens that they released with it is an 80 millimeter f 1.7 that's going for 2300 so it's expensive th add that in there you're right over about eight thousand dollars eight three hundred for those two and you know you're not going to just get away with an 80 millimeter so you probably need a couple other ones yeah i mean this is this is pretty pretty awesome camera i gotta say just on specs and some of the shots i've seen people taking is really incredible it is a niche audience but if you're doing, you know, landscape photography and you're selling some really like high-end art prints, yes, this, yeah. If you're a landscape photographer who's just posting on Instagram, I mean, just use your phone. Honestly, you probably would be better if you used a real camera. But you don't most likely need a medium format uh, sensor. I think companies are kind of throwing out these really nice photo cameras in preparation for what should have been the Olympics this year again. But I, I also think you know it's not happening. So now they're just releasing them anyway. One thing I really well, like I about I don't know about this one, but yeah, because I don't. This isn't really you know maybe not sports, but I guess you said landscape, so maybe yeah. maybe not. But still, I think the the prowess that this camera is demonstrating in terms of megapixel count resolution is insane. One thing I love is they have a dedicated movie slash photo switch. Yeah, this is something Fuji's been doing. They're very popular because of their physical controls, and rather than doing you know modes and digital stuff. They do a lot with physical controls where you get a physical ISO dial or you get a physical this dial. And a lot of people like it because of that. It also does have, I was just seeing in the photo you're looking, it has an on top uh, informational display, yeah, which is OLED something you start getting here. in those higher end cameras. So that's nice that they uh, put that in. It does do 4K, 6, uh, 4K 30 video and it actually does give you 12-bit raw out. So 
decent video specs, but really, like I said, uh, the people that you're going to be uh, targeted with this camera is the landscape photographers. Now, we did see a more affordable camera from them, right? Yes, we did. What was this one? I have no idea. You, okay. you segued me into a hole there. So. I, know, I saw you distracted over there. Uh, this one was the X-E4 camera. Okay. Now, I'm not even sure what this is a follow-up to. I mean, I'm assuming because it's an X-E3. Well, there was the X-T4, yeah, and I so think, this is an X-E4. I think, they, I think they did have an E3. Um, can you look that up for me just to make sure I'm not giving false information? But anyways, this is an APS-C camera, obviously, because that's what Sony... I mean. Fuji is really known for their APS-C is uh, really they haven't jumped into you know full frame at all or even do they do micro four thirds I don't think they even do that I'm not sure honestly yeah. but this is where their XT4 is kind of more prosumer this is on the lower end more consumer more kind of with the Rebel uh, Canon line and lower end L5 like kind of right? just dipping your toes into photography want something a little bit nicer but not super nice. Like, yeah, I wouldn't say dipping toes. I mean, because it starts at a thousand dollars around. It's one thousand fifty, okay, with a lens. So that's not that, that's not bad for like a kit, cheap. right? If you get like an eighty or ninety D, I feel like you're getting something you know pretty. Yeah, but I'm thinking like a T seven I. That's more the beginner. This is kind of like mid range. Mid range, okay, yeah. okay. And yeah, to answer your question from before, there was previously an XE three. Okay, so thought, yeah. this appears to be like more of their budget mirrorless point and shoot kind of I don't uh, you can't not call budget, this budget but like they're they're kind of maybe smaller. budget prosumer you can call it it's it's high, I think it's high end consumer that's what it is high end consumer budget prosumer uh mirrorless camera it's a 26.1 APS-C sensor you're getting uh, 4K 30 FPS video and full HD at 240 FPS so that's actually pretty incredible touch screen on this one of course and yeah, otherwise, I mean, standard things, Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, OLED, uh, viewfinder, 425 point hybrid autofocus system. And the big thing, of course, with Fujifilm cameras is the film simulation modes, which people like. Yeah. Which can kind of give you that. Fujifilm's kind of known for their color up. science yeah. and their filters and their rich tones. So I think if you're someone who's more into photography and maybe you like Instagram, you like having kind of the filters applied in camera, this could be kind of neat. Well, for if you that. shot a lot on film and you like that more manual feel, definitely check it out. I really like their silver version. It looks like kind of an old school 35 millimeter uh, film camera, you know, with the black body and silver top metal, you know, dials and stuff. So yeah, that's one really of, of these three cameras we've talked about, which one do you think is the most exciting and would you get any of them? I think the A1 from Sony is personally the most exciting because yeah. it's their answer to the R5. And it seems like with overheating issues, Sony's actually doing it better. So I think a lot of Sony enthusiasts are going to be excited. I think this could pull potentially some Canon shooters to Sony with, you know, all of a sudden, all the features they need are available on a Sony platform. Yep. And yeah, I know it's expensive at $6,500, but I think that's, that's the price it is for those kinds of high-end models. Uh, would I get one? I would probably get the Fujifilm XE4 if I was to get any one because it's, price. it's more affordable and I feel like it would just be fun for photos and stuff with the color signs. What about you? What's what's yeah. your uh, take here? Um, yeah, I mean, I kind of I kind of agree. If I was actually to get one... You would get the A1, I feel like. I probably would get the A1 just because it's the Sony and the AK. I mean, it would, I'd have to do a lot of justifying. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mental justification. Yep. Yeah. Yep. If I sell all that. of this, my lungs, my liver, yeah, kidney. Right. Yep. All right. Exactly. Uh, long indentured servitude or something like that but yeah i think the a1 is my personal favorite and the one i'd go for if I was but it, any it of can't them. do 4k 120 right it's only 4k 60 no it can do 4k okay yeah. they, so they 4k they, 120 8k 30 okay so that's probably what we're going to see with the a7 4 is likely then is what the 4k 120 is going to be only on the s3 and they're going to keep the a7 4 4k 60 to kind of differentiate them, or you think they'll bring it, bring Wait, it over? Wait, the, the four, a, A7 A4, A7R4. A74. A74, yeah. I think I think you'll just get 4K60, and that'll be the max. Um, okay. Wow. Just, so, yeah, this is... just Because they just wanted to compete with the Nikon... Uh, what is it? Z9? It's like that hybrid area. Or, no, Z7, sorry. Yeah, uh, I think that, that makes sense for you. If you get the A1, that's basically uh upgrade to your A7... I, I, see, I wouldn't need it, though, because I don't... Sh I mean, the right now, the A7 III is plenty for me for stills and i use the a7s3 for uh you know video and you don't stuff. need 50 megapixel product I don't shots need, i don't really need 50 megapixels and i don't need the super fast frame rates so i would need to the only way i'd get that is if i got into sports photography or started doing a lot of studio work 
Well, Gabe, I think we found a way you can afford this new camera, and it's by buying GameStop. Oh, stock. really? Yes. Stonk. Game the stonk. stonk. Yeah, I think we you should think it's going to go that. up more? Uh, yeah, it's on a run right now. It's going to the moon. I don't know if you've yeah. uh, been following that I bandwagon. I haven't strapped in yet. So um, for anyone who's unfamiliar, basically what happened was the GameStop stock uh, went on a huge run You know, the past week, basically. What happened was a lot of people on Reddit, r slash... What was the subreddit? It's like it's r slash Wall Street bets. Wall Street bets. They basically found that a lot of or a few hedge funds were taking very high short positions in the GameStop stock, and once they learned that, they realized they could potentially drive the stock price up by buying it, increasing demand, and also buying options. Um, there's a great there's great resources on it. I think Gabe, what do you want to focus on for this story? Because the stock basically shot up. A lot of people in hedge funds lost a lot of money. A lot of Reddit users earned a lot of money. Yeah. Well, I don't want to focus on because we're more of a tech podcast. I don't yeah. want to focus on. I mean, if you want to, if you want to understand like short squeezes and what shorting a stock even is, go on YouTube. There's um, Lewis Rossman. He's an OG tech YouTuber about repairing your Mac. He has some good explanations. There's some other YouTubers who have done good. Uh, you know, kind of figure. You know, explaining what is actually happening from an economic like stock market standpoint. And then there's also people who are going on rants about what this all means about overthrowing Wall Street and stuff. We're not talking about that. What we're actually focused on more is in this last week, just I think, was it Thursday or Friday? I think it was Thursday. Yes. Um, basically, with all this trading going on and you know this huge volatility around mainly GameStop, but then it expanded later to some other penny stocks like AMC. Um, I think it was Koss. Uh, Nokia, I think, was Nokia, on there. Nokia, BlackBerry, yeah. It's basically these brands that people definitely know well, but are you know their long-term outlook or even short-term is not very you know five years are they still going to be around? It's kind of like that's you know that that emoji. Yeah, I think type thing. I think the thing to know about when you short a stock, you're basically betting against the company. You're yeah. like, yeah, this company is not going to do well. They're going to underperform. They're going in the tubes. And but that doesn't mean necessarily the company will. It just means. People, people are betting think that. that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But so yeah, yeah what what happened last week? Kind of. So what happened is there was a ton of volatility, ton of trading, basically, and a, a lot of it obviously was people on Reddit, who one of their most popular trading apps is Robinhood, which has risen to prominence because they were the, the first to really offer free trading. Yeah, which they started that revolution, opened it up uh, for everyone, and since then they've done other things like fractional shares. Really, a lot of things that have recurring helped. investments. Yeah, a lot of things that have. I mean, even transfers. Like you go to transfer the money, it's instantly there. Up to I think a thousand dollars initially, you get. So there's a lot of things they've done, which has lived up to their name of being Robinhood, and you know, being able to basically give, open up, give money back to the people, open yeah, up accessibility, open up the stock market. So it's not you know ninety percent of all stocks are owned by like one percent of the, uh, you know, people in the world, and so. They've been doing good up until now. Yeah, they've had issues with on certain days of high volatility. Also, that their stocks like it hasn't been trading. You haven't been able to execute trades. Just they've been overloaded, especially back in March when the pandemic hit. Everyone was trying to sell and stuff, and a lot of people couldn't. There's class action suits for that. But what happened this time was uh, kind of similar, where you started seeing that slowly. Th- uh, Robinhood did it, and then a couple other companies did it. Uh, basically, they just stopped letting people buy GameStop, AMC, and a couple other stocks, and this really, I mean, it wasn't just Robinhood. And that's to be clear. There were some exchanges that kept open and kept offering the ability to buy these stocks. I think Fidelity did a couple other ones, but really, I mean, it was public, even SoFi, uh, I think Webull, like Schwab at one point even was restricting trades. And it was just because basically the, there was so much trading that they had to keep a lot of money on hand in order to comply with SEC guidelines about you know, the ratio of how much money you have on hand versus how many outstanding uh, orders you have in basically in the... Yeah, I think that's exactly it. Because the trade volume was so high, as yeah. you said, Robinhood just didn't have enough cash on hand to comply And also with- they're trading Apex partners or their exchanges or the actually the people executing the trades, which are like these soup... You know, they used to be literally, I have a stock here that says certificate, 10 shares. I go, oh, Stetson, you also want 10 shares here. Right, take it. But as trading has gotten more and more complicated, and these companies are offering fractional shares now, basically it's now these. There's very few companies. It's it's very like monopolistic this area. But it's not actually Robinhood and these other you know Schwab executing the trades. It's these middlemen who are you know have super fast computers, really good algorithms, who are also earning money off this. 
uh, but they're able to go boom. You need five shares here, the five boom, like, and they're able to do the trades. They're that middleman in the middle. And what happened was they were overwhelmed, so they were charging more. Uh, the SEC requirements are asking more, and basically ended up all these companies said, uh, you guys can't buy these shares anymore of these companies, which are trying to drive up the prices of, which obviously angered the now near over 4 million users on uh, our uh, Wall Street bets. And while Public, SoFi, Schwab, other companies, you know, yeah, they did it as well. Robinhood, because they're literally their name is, we steal Robin from Hood. the rich and give to the poor. And this is this huge movement of supposedly stealing from the rich and, you know, kind of trying to stick it to the rich for all the things they've done. And Robin Hood, who should be their ally, is going, ah, no, 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 no. So yes, yes. That is why that is basically the long short of that, or actually that was that was pretty long. That was a long say. version. Sorry about that, guys. It was interesting though. I mean, there's so much going on here on so many different levels. We don't even understand the full implications of this to the largest extent. Yeah, I and I would say uh just just my personal thing is I I hate when people jump on bandwagons here. Yes. You know, who don't understand it. I mean, we saw like Casey Neistat saying he was buying shares. I mean, that's the positive way of jumping in it. But I saw some people getting really vicious towards the people who are the hedge fund brokers and hedge fund managers and people who made these, you know, short purchases and overshorted GameStop. And while I think, yeah, there might be some, you know, criticism there for sure. Like, don't just jump on the bandwagon and tweet that thing because you feel like it. Like, it's a meme now. Yeah, take a moment to think. So yeah, what do you want to focus on? It looks. So like- what I actually wanted to focus on was because of this whole Robin Hood fiasco. A lot of people were very angry about Robinhood, and you know, there was the whole boycott Robinhood switch uh, trend starting. And so, a lot of people were looking at, "Hey, what should I um, switch you know, to? Switch what are the to? other platforms?" I mean, like- let's not even get into the fact that also at the same point, Dogecoin was also getting memed. Yeah. the The most meme cryptocurrency of all was getting pumped to the moon, and Robinhood restricted trading on that. Which also then people who are into purchasing crypto on Robinhood, which by the way, I don't think you should do because you purchase it on Robinhood. You can't actually use it as a cryptocurrency. It's just an asset. You can't send it to anyone. It's, it's more like investing in a stock, but yeah. you're investing in the crypto. If you actually use Coinbase or something like that, you can actually buy it you know, and use it to pay by like, I can send sets in 0.0005 Bitcoin or whatever to pay for something. And so that's a whole other thing. But now we're going to focus on which uh, Robinhood alternatives are out there that we would personally uh, possibly recommend or have used. And there's definitely a good amount. There's some kind of the older brokerages basically is how I'd break it down who offer, you know, a little more stability and have the, you know, the, what is it? Like they've done it for so long. Yeah. They, reliability. That's the word. Yeah. They have reliability. They have a history of making trades. Yeah. They know how it's done. They it's comply. not quite as flashy. The interfaces. Yeah. That's actually what perplexes me the most is that with some of the older uh, companies. So for example, we just have Schwab and Fidelity on here as, you know, good alternatives to consider. I personally use Fidelity. I use Schwab. And Hi, I'm a Mac. I'm a P. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what I found is like their app is kind of old, outdated. It's kind of slow and chunky. What Robinhood has going for it is their UI is smooth. It's fast. It's fluid. It's easy and intuitive to buy and sell stocks. But actually, flipping, a lot of people argue Robinhood is too intuitive and actually gamifies it too much. So you don't realize it's like how well, the implications. They make money off you trading. So it's in their incentive to get you to trade more. So it's like, you know, they add a little haptic feedback when you when you complete a trade or the confetti when you sell, and basically everything is geared towards getting you on the app more. They're 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 buy a, more, yeah, sell more. They're a Silicon Valley company, so like their model is user time, how much time on app, how much trades, right? That's all they care about. They're not really caring a lot about. I mean, they're starting to like pretend that they do, but really all they care about, yeah, is how much time you're spending on the app, how many trades you're making, how much money they're making from you. Yeah. Well, I mean, either way, I still think that, you know, maybe Robinhood's gone too far. It's almost too easy, yeah. but I still think it's more challenging on Fidelity, at least for my use, to execute the trade. It takes me way That's more true. clicks online. Yeah. The app experience is not super mobile optimized. It feels kind of slow and sluggish. So while I would say Fidelity, uh, great features, great experience, but the the app design itself, I think, could be better. Yeah. If So, so starting with the older brokerages, if we were going to recommend two uh, it would be definitely Fidelity and Schwab because both of those do offer still fractional shares. They offer yep. like stock slices. That I think what Schwab calls them. I don't know what, what does Fidelity call them. Just yeah, fractional shares. I, I think slices sounds good to me. Okay. Well, I mean, because that's literally what Schwab they call them stock slices. Oh. So okay. I don't know. If, yeah, I don't know if Fidelity. They might call them something it. different. But yeah, basically they're identical. Other than that, 
as far as like fees, you know, obviously very no fees pretty much on everything except for like mutual yeah, funds. That's an important thing. thing to clarify too. So what Robinhood did is they made commission free trading. Yeah. And all that means is before when you wanted to execute a trade, you would pay Fidelity or Schwab a commission. Typically Fidelity was like five bucks yeah, was- to, to execute that trade. And the problem is if you wanted to do a lot of buying and selling, like, all right, I'm going to buy a hundred dollars worth of whatever company uh, you would pay five dollars on that, which is a terrible investment. Like you're already losing five percent just on paying yeah, to so execute the trade. You had, you had trade. to be a lot more planned and like think out your trades. Typ- yeah, typically bigger trades, higher volume, things like that. Um, and so now, thanks to Robinhood, actually all of these companies are doing commission-free trading. So yeah, there's not really many companies that are still charging for commissions. It's only like if you're buying yeah mutual funds, bonds. Sometimes or certain like certain maybe options, they'll charge you a little. But yeah, so those are the two. I mean, there's also E-Trade and Ameritrade out there, but personally, I, I looked at all the research. We've used these two, and I've talked to a lot of people. These are really the two, if you want to go old school brokerages. Um, now, the new school area, there's a couple different ones. There's Public, which I personally am a big fan of. There's Webull, which pretty much anyone who's uh, on YouTube recommending is a fan of because they actually give a very high commissions for affiliates. Yeah, yeah they have good affiliate payout. That's why everyone So that's why everyone them. recommends them. And then the other one I'd probably lump in here is SoFi. Now, all of these offer... Actually, no, Webull doesn't. Public and SoFi both offer uh, fractional shares. Webull, interestingly, does not do that, which I'm not really sure why, but they do offer a lot more complicated ability to do like more complicated trades, like yeah, limit orders, market op... Like it's almost like you more take in-depth. the depth of the old institutions... Yep. And you add a new user interface to it. So it's a little bit more intuitive, a little bit more mobile friendly, but you're still getting a wealth of information at your fingertips. It's almost overwhelming, actually. I don't I don't use yeah. Weeble that much because it's it's just so wow, there's so much going on in the screen. Yeah, so it's many It's definitely more like little higher levels, like if you really want to get into it and really want to trade stocks. So it's not for everyone. And like I said, a lot of YouTubers are recommending it for nearly everyone because they get huge affiliate payouts. I would, and I would say, yeah, Webull's like, or, or the other apps are like public. It's like if you're dipping your toes in, Webull's like your yeah. knee to waist deep in stocks. You're, you're ready to go fully headfirst in. Yeah. And I, you know, just want to warn anyone about all, also everything we're saying here is purely just for entertainment purposes. Of course, hopefully you're entertained uh, because you can't take any of this as actual financial advice. So I would, though, recommend for entertainment purposes, Public and SoFi, personally. Of the two, Public, I think, is a really up-and-coming one. It's growing. Yeah, I, I like them, too. What what makes Public unique? It's it's kind of a combination of social media and of trading platform. Does that make sense? Like, how does that work? So I definitely... There, there's a, a bit of hesitation because social media is oftentimes filled with people just pumping up stocks that they own. But if you sort through that and can kind of get a filter for, oh, if I see someone just like talking about this one stock constantly in the feed, obviously like, yeah, they have an incentive, but there are some good posts in there sprinkled in and they do a good job of filtering them towards the top of like, you know, Hey, it's the first day when when Biden was elected, for example, I saw a post that was like, Hey, it's the first day of this presidency four years ago when Trump was elected. Here's what the Dow was at. Here's what gas was at, you know, and it kind of compared it. And that was a cool comparison or like, uh, they'll, people will post like, hey, earnings week comings up this week. Here's what to watch for earnings or just kind of useful stuff to so you don't have to dive in fully on, uh, you know, financial Twitter or, you know, on, you know, Google Alerts or whatever. You can just use this all in one app to both monitor what's kind of going on, you know, financially as well as, you know, purchase fractional shares and do stuff like that. Yeah, it's what people are saying about what their investment philosophy is, what they personally think. Yeah. So you kind of have to filter everything that's said like, all right, this is what this particular person thinks. You know, here's maybe a historical trend of how they believe the market works or something like that. Yep. So you have to definitely sort of question everything, but it can be helpful to like see different people's perspectives and opinions. And I think the app design is super clean. It's super nice. And yeah, I really, I really like public as well. Um, and I actually may consider switching to them. But, you know, what Robinhood has was the, you know, recurring investments, uh, which is just a big feature for me yeah, personally. Yeah, public still lacks some of the features Robinhood has. Um, I mean, by the way, we will put, I'm going to put links down below uh, in the description somehow for all of these probably because they do offer affiliate links. And hey, you know, we'd love to give you. Yeah, both, you, you, you actually we'd get. We'd love to give you both free shares as well as we, we also would be nice to get some free shares or whatever if you do sign up or if you have a friend also. That's probably a more sociable way to do it. Ask your friend for an affiliate code and sign up through their link. Yeah. But yeah, I think public 
probably would be my number one recommendation for more beginners and stuff because it's it's very similar to Robin Hood, but it's more sociable, more about education, I feel like. And it also, I like that it has ability, say you buy you know, Beyond Mead and say you buy GameStop and then you also buy Apple or a couple other ones, you could put uh, GameStop maybe in your short-term investing. So it has an ability to actually sh- like, you know, sort them by what's your, you know, all right, Apple, I'm going to buy that one and hold. So you pop that one down your long-term and you're able to like, you're able to just ignore that kind of sort of thing and just invest money in that rather than looking at trading it. Whereas GameStop, you're like, I don't know. Yeah. Oh man, this hour, next hour, yeah, next right? five minutes. So that's why I like that. Um, I will say, uh, public, actually, I just discovered they had a PDF starter guide and gives you like a quick walkthrough of you know, what a stock is, what it means to yeah. buy a stock. So I think if you're just getting into stocks, I think public, a really great option, a great platform to sort of dip your toes in and get started. Yeah. And the other one now, SoFi, I don't think you have any experience with I them. I don't. Yeah. Can you yeah. tell me what is SoFi doing? What kind so of makes So SoFi is almost, yeah, they're very unique and different from all these, almost more like a Schwab or Fidelity because they want to be your go-to for everything. Okay, what does everything mean? So everything means you can bank with them. You can have your banking, your checking account, I think savings account. You can do even student loans and house loans through them. You can do buying of cryptocurrencies. You can buy shares. You can open an IRA retirement account. Oh, snap. So this is like a fully fledged financial institution. Like this is a modern day Fidelity or Schwab. I mean, I think, I don't know what SoFi actually stands for. Do we know? Can we look that up? But it's like, probably has to be something, something financials. So if I know it's, it's it just it's doesn't also, maybe it's just oh, social financing that's what it is oh so it, it's more I think social I don't really know why that is maybe just because it's it's new techie maybe Silicon they're trying Valley. to be like more people focused or whatever maybe that could be I'm not really sure why it is but I mean this company's big enough that they have a stadium I think it's in L A named after them SoFi Park that's or crazy stadium whatever it is so yeah they're a very big very well established company their stock now we're just gonna focus on mainly the stock thing uh, stock exchange trading area it's not it's not as good as robin hood or public or even weeple and like just in the sense that all right so they do offer fractional shares okay but if you purchase fractional shares those actually don't settle until the end of the day so if you want to buy at a current price like if you see a dip in the middle of the day and you're like i want to buy and i want like it's not really as much for trading because buying a fractional share you might not you know, the stock could go up, could go down by the time you actually buy it. So it's not really locked in. And if you're buying, you know, full share, fine, that's cool. They also don't offer anything like reoccurring investments really. Actually, wait, I think they actually might. No, no, they don't. They they only offer the ability to transfer it into your trading account. Oh, like a recurring deposit. Deposit, yeah, not investment. So you still don't get that. But I think if you're looking for kind of, you know, hey, I want an online banking. I want the ability to like deposit your paycheck there. Like they, everything that, all in one exactly. spot, super easy. Yeah, if you don't want to have 50 different accounts for different things like I have, SoFi might be a very good option. Like I said, you can even buy cryptocurrencies in there. And they offer some really cool ETFs and like kind of sortings of like, you know, here's your growth stocks. Here's your marijuana stocks. Here's tech stocks, right? And their ETFs they offer, they offer one that's called, I think it's SFY, S-Y-F-Y, I don't know, something like that. And it tracks their 50 most widely uh, most held stocks on their platform. So you know, right now it's like Tesla, Apple, stuff like that. So you can kind of stop all the sudden. Yeah, you can. No, it's not because they only rebalance every month. Okay, okay. So it's kind of you can get on on the most popular stocks, and which will likely be the ones that go up. And they also have one called TGIF, which is definitely a little more risky because it is kind of more junk bonds. But basically, it gives you actually every Friday it gives you an interest payment. Okay, so that's kind of cool. So yeah, SoFi is definitely more. All in one thing. Let's head to the final area I have down here, which is M1 Finance and Wealthfront. So this is different from the Apple M1 chip. Yes, yeah. This is an Apple jumping <laughs> into the into the finance. The finance well, they do thing. have Apple cards, so it's not out of the question. They are entirely. kind of in there. So basically, Wealthfront is fully a robo advisor. You really don't at all choose your stocks. M1 Finance, I actually haven't used, but I've I've gotten close to using it several times. And why I haven't is because it kind of sits in this weird ground in between uh, like fully fledged trading platform like Robinhood, like SoFi, like Weeble and Wealthfront and Betterment and these robo advisors where you, instead of investing and picking your stocks and just, oh, I want to buy this, I want to buy that. You actually kind of make up, they call them pies because you're able to go, I want, I want to make, you know, my investment pie will be 
Apple this, 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 this. And then you just drop money in and it's able to put money into those stocks. Oh, so that's that's kind of a nice approach where you can say, all right, I want you know, 60% Apple, 40% Tesla. I don't know if it's exactly like that, but and you they, can kind they of- auto distribute it You can kind of that? do something like that. Okay, okay. And it has pre-made pies too. <laughs> so that you wow, can- i getting hungry now. You can like, all right, I want to do, you know, S&P 500, but low risk maybe. And, you know, I don't- Sure, sure. Like, or if it's long-term investing, you're like, yeah, I can set, you know, higher risk, more, more into stocks, and they'll have a pre-made like allocation essentially uh, for where you'll go. The weird thing there is like, you have to go over $25 for it to invest, even with dividends. Like they don't auto dividend. So it just kind of accumulates until you get 25 Yeah, which bucks. is kind of, I guess, like what Wealthfront does too, where you have to go over a certain amount before it will invest it in. And so, yeah, this is definitely more, both of these are more on the robo-advisors. But if you're yeah, the wait. type of person that doesn't care about buying just GameStop and is more like, I just want to invest money, then this is the place to take it. Yeah, so what did you not like about M1 Finance? Um, it was just, I don't know. It felt like you'd either want to go with Wealthfront which was better at offering you easy to invest money or you'd want to go more with the trading. Okay. So this is like a weird in between that the yeah, pie that, system is just like a weird in between thing. Yeah. I mean, for some people, Hey, it might work, but for me, that was personally sure, yeah. why I haven't, you know, really yeah, no, I, them. I understand that. I actually really like Wealthfront. I mean, to me, I feel like some people don't save, you know, and yeah. if you can do 80% of the work, like all you need to do is deposit money in Wealthfront. It will automatically distribute it for you based on, when you want to retire, and it gives you helpful tools like how much you're saving each month, how well, your money and is growing. Are you growing. using it for your IRA, or what are you using? So I'm using my IRAs in Fidelity yeah, okay. because uh, the, the so one the thing, retire thing isn't really. It's more like if you say you have, you can set a goal or a savings yeah, goal. Yeah, so say you're like, I want to buy a house in ten years, or I want to buy a boat in five years, or a car, or whatever, some big thing. I want to buy Sony's new Xperia Pro smartphone. I want to buy the new place. I want to save up for the new PlayStation Six when it comes out in eight years so start saving now five dollars every six months i think would be good and you should be there in time and it would basically yeah it would take that money it would figure out all right so we got eight years so we can go a little higher risk and start tapering down that risk as we get closer yeah so it does like in the beginning it'll allocate more of your assets towards stocks which are typically yep. higher risk but have a higher potential to go up and then as you approach the date that you want to have your savings it'll be uh reallocating the assets into more stable and less risky investments, typically bonds and things like that. Now, the one thing I really like about Wealthfront also is they added this autopilot feature and they have a checking account built in that you can use. So I personally, how I used it is I have a checking account with them as I have too many accounts, as we've mentioned. I have a checking account with in the same Wealthfront account that I have my investing account with them for. And basically I can set a threshold for, say I want an emergency fund of $1,000 there, right? I can keep that in cash always in my checking account. And that's kind of out of sight, out of mind, just is $1,000 always. And I can set auto deposits into that. And anytime that goes over $1,000, it will then invest that money in actually the investment portfolio side. That's kind of I think neat. they call it a cash account and then it's an invest account or something like that. I could potentially see that like if you know, you're earning X amount and you know you need, like you need a certain amount for monthly expenses, like you say, all right, I need this amount to handle all my monthly expenses. But anytime money goes in and you go over that threshold, like to automatically save it, so yeah. it kind of gives you like a safe buffer zone. Well, yeah, exactly. That's what it is. It's like, because you can always pull money out of your investment account, but anytime you do, you're going to pay uh, short-term capital gains taxes, which are higher than long-term. So you basically want to, anything you're putting into that invest account, you're hoping is going to be there longer than a year. Yeah. Which I guess as you grow that account will be easier because there will always be some money in there that's been longer than a year. So if you pull out $1,000, it will actually smartly sell the stuff that's been there longer. So you only pay long-term capital gains, but we're getting we're getting way too, off track. Too basically, much in yeah, the weeds. Basically, yeah. those were our recommendations. Like we five, said, five five recs. Yeah, Schwab Pub Fidelity, Public, uh, and SoFi more for the beginners. Webull for the advanced traders, and then if you really want the more robo advisor type stuff, M1 Finance and Wealthfront. Yeah, so I think that's actually going to be it for this episode of the Pinch to Zoom podcast. Yeah. Uh, please, if you enjoyed the show, leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Again. As Gabe mentioned, this is for entertainment purposes only. Please consult actual financial you advisors. Can take, you can take our tech, tech advice, though. Tech advice? That's, tech advice, that's fair 100%. game. Uh, I don't know. Maybe we should say that's for entertainment purposes. <laughs> the whole podcast, entertainment purposes if only. If you were entertained, this was only for entertainment purposes. If not, uh, this was for informational purposes. If you didn't find any information in this, well, uh, hey, or entertainment, thank you for listening. We appreciate you guys making it all the way through the podcast. Go play it on another platform, too. 
Yeah. I want to get our get our listens up. So go maybe on Google Podcasts. Personally, is the one I've been liking a lot. I, I actually switched to that. Yeah. I know a lot of people are on Apple Podcasts. I use three. <laughs> <laughs> I use Spotify for some, Google Podcasts for others, and then Apple Podcasts still. Wow. Wow. But I will say, yeah, Google Podcasts is. It syncs across all your devices. You'll be most likely killed, though, in five years. So oh, just gosh. be warned. <laughs> Don't joke about it too much. Yeah. yeah. So if you enjoyed the show, rate us an Apple podcast. As Gabe mentioned, you can find some affiliate links to the financial institutions down below. You can get a free stock to get started. Oh, and YouTube. New videos. Yeah. We're, we're, we're on YouTube we're filming. now. Well, we've been on YouTube, but. Check the podcast show notes. That's what yeah. I'll say. Uh, either way, follow us at Pinch to Zoom Pod on Twitter, at Pinch to Zoom Podcast on Instagram. I'm Stetson. I'm new Mike Gabe. And we look forward to talking to you in the next episode. So do you we think did get new mics. We got new mics. What is what do you what do you think? Is it, no, that was a question. We did get new mics. Yeah, you didn't the voice articulation and the intonations wasn't quite there. Was that because of the mics? No, that was because of your voice. Oh, so these mics are actually capturing it correctly. I was just wrong. I was the thing that was bad. We need a new me. Next week, there will be a Gabe 2.0 here. New quick news, new mics, new Gabe. Road. New, new cameras. Road. Yeah, got it all.